Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's uh, find out what's happening uh, south of the border with the Canadian perspective. Michael Tobe's going to be joining, uh, joining us. Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper with us now. Michael, uh, I've jumped all over the place here. It's up to you where you want to start. Um, uh, let, since we're st- talking about what's happened up here, your thoughts sure. on what happened at Mohawk College uh, and and preventing old people from crossing the road. We talk about the alt-left, and I'm not promoting the alt-right. We talk about the alt-right all the time, sure. but when this stuff happens, it seems to get lost in the sauce. Yeah, it does get lost in translation. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> the alt-left, or if you want to call them the radical left, extreme left, we use whatever term you'd like, or Antifa, if you'd like, who are supposedly anti-fascists, but basically have the tactics of what we know to be the old fascists and the Nazis and others, because they do the same bloody things other than certain components that obviously people like Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler did, which obviously have not been replicated. But their tactics are basically to, to frighten, to scare off, to unnerve, to attack, And I saw that video, as I think a lot of people have, and, you know, all they were trying to do, the two of them, from what I understand, it was a son and an elderly mother, they were trying to basically just cross the street to go listen to Maxime Bernier, Dave Rubin, and a couple of others speak about freedom of speech. Whether you like these sorts of people or not is not the issue. Whether you like the topic or not is not the issue. What they did, in in other words, the alt-left or Antifa or whatever you wish to call them, was immoral it was disgusting it was inhumane it is not something that in a democratic society we should want to allow or we should even hope would come up from time to time it's a terrible thing to watch and you're right scott i i heard your intro we do talk about the alt-left or the extreme components white nationalists white supremacists and others who don't necessarily fit into the political right of the spectrum aside from what some people say, they are to the fringe, they are a fringe group. Much like the alt-left, as you suggested, is a fringe group. They both are, absolutely. But I think what Hamiltonians have seen, at least by this and by what happened at Mohawk College, is that it's fine to concentrate on one group, as you alluded to, but you can't ignore the other. There are extremes on both ends of the political spectrum, and although we focus a lot on the alt-right, mostly because it's become a major phenomenon it's been discussed pretty heavily in U.S. publications, Canadian, European, etc. So we've spent more time on them. Antifa has been around for quite a while, and they have tried to rile up others. They have gotten into fistfights with others, and sometimes people have actually tried to defend them. They are not defensible. They have never been defensible, much like the alt-right and their tactics are not defensible either. They are two extreme ends of the political spectrum, and they should be treated as such. And you're quite right. It would be nice... Scott, if everyone could move back to the center and think from those ends. The problem is, in our very partisan world and politically charged world, unfortunately, those opposite ends or those extreme components seem to pop out more often and are examined more often than they probably should be. And they jump on others' causes to try to bring similarities between the two, which there may be none. Correct. Uh, you know, so they jump on other activism, uh, other important issues, and, and then all of a sudden they're on either the political, the, 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 uh, the correct side or the incorrect side of the political movement. And they're being used in politics as opposed to just being identified as extremist and, and, and centered out for that. Yes, no, and it should actually be very easy. The alt-right and the alt-ref do not define 
what the mainstream right and the mainstream left believe in, whether you agree ideologically with one or the other, the mainstream components of both political ideologies are very, very different than the groups that we're talking about, or just that group that opposed that older elderly couple or those two elderly people as they try to cross the street to go listen to an intellectual discussion. I would really hope that people start to realize these sorts of things should not be tolerated. You know, obviously we believe in certain things such as the right to protest, which is part of a democracy. People have, you know, will engage in intellectual discourse and agree and disagree with one another. All those things are healthy. But when you start putting violence into it or screaming at people that they're Nazis, white supremacists, etc., especially those who are just simply going to listen, Maybe they've made up their minds about who they're going to vote for on October 21st, and maybe they haven't. It's not relevant. When things like this pop up, yes, you should allow people like Maxime Bernier, the People's Party of Canada leader, to speak, whether you agree with him or not, because he is going to be at the one, two of the leaders' debates, as you said, but also because his party, while quite small overall and only hovering around, let's say, 2 to 2.5% two overall in terms of their national support, they may still get at least one seat, probably Bernier's, and they may be competitive in others. So it's something that we have to listen to and tend to. Plus, as well, I would think that cities like Hamilton and others would want these sorts of debates. I mean, unfortunately, as we've seen in Toronto with the cancellation of the Monk debate, obviously there's always this, this backlash in terms of the way things are going. That being, that was going to be one of the leaders' debates, but the pushback was that A, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, didn't, you know, decided not to attend, and B, some liberals started to come out that, well, the reason that we're opposed to it is because we didn't like the Steve Bannon versus David Frum debate that the Monk mm. Center held last year, ergo, why should he bother to come to something like this? Wow. <laughs> Which is bad. Now, I'm not saying everybody felt that way, but yeah. unfortunately it was brought up as a topic of conversation, not by one, two, three, four people, but by many. And for that reason, it worries me, as I'm sure it worries you and worries many other people, that the, the very nature of intellectual discourse isn't becoming, it's coming to a point now where the discourse isn't intellectual. Yeah. It's become angry, yeah. frustrated, furious, mad, rage. I don't think that most people in society, most good, honest, decent people in society, which most of us are to begin with, would want something like this. Ergo, when things like that happen, as it did on Mohawk College, we should condemn it. Antifa, or the alt-left, is not part of mainstream society much the same way that the alt-right isn't either. Well said. All right, let's talk about what's happening south of the border. Uh, it just seems to be getting more and more complicated every day. I, I'm interested in taking your interested in hearing your take as a Canadian, because normally sure. we're, we're jumping down there for opinion. Uh, that being said, uh, very quickly, obviously, uh, chatter way back in the summer between the President of the United States and uh, the Ukraine President, um, talking about... Uh, uh, military spending uh, in, uh, in defense money that was coming down to help yes. uh, then weaves into that conversation uh, can you find out more about Joe Biden and, and his son and what he's doing and obviously it takes off from there right. uh, the White House releases not transcripts but sort of a report as to what happened which Donald Trump thought was going to pretty much exonerate him yes. uh, instead it has done the opposite of this uh, how do you go from he- where do you go from here? Is this a scenario where the cover-up's bigger than the crime? Well, you also have to factor in the whistleblower complaint as well, or yep, the whistleblower's yep. interpretation of what may or may not have happened during that during the summer. 
Um, where do we go from here? That's an interesting question. I mean, obviously, we're going into impeachment hearings because that's what the Democrats want, and they control the Congress, or at least the House of Representatives. So for that purpose alone, whether we like it or not, that's where the United States is heading, and that's going to go on for months and months. It's going to wage on for quite a while. Let me interrupt right there. Why go through all of this if it's just going to get hung up in the Senate anyway? Is it got to the point where it's so damning they have to do something? Are they between a rock and a hard place? Why go if you're not going to have success? If I could explain that, I'd be a genius. <laughs> and I can't explain it. I mean, the only thing is, as people have suggested, and I've suggested too, and I think, it's, I think we're all correct, they were backed into a corner. They've been talking yeah. about impeachment for so long, for so many months, but nothing really stuck long enough for them to kind of tack on to and then carry it along and start the proceedings. They finally decided that the Ukrainian, uh, that the, Ukra- the phone call with Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr uh, Zelensky may be the only option they have to get this going. I think Democrats, certainly senior ones anyways, probably know that in the grand scheme of things, they are going to lose. As you alluded to, even if Donald Trump is impeached in the House of Representatives, which, by the way, two previous presidents, Bill Clinton and Andrew Johnson, have been as well, it all comes down to whether the Senate removes the the president who's been impeached in the House of Representatives out of office entirely. In the cases of Johnson excuse me, and Clinton, it didn't happen in either case. Johnson survived by one vote, which is is sort of an interesting period of history, and Clinton had a Democratic-controlled Senate, so he survived quite easily. The same thing is going to happen here, and I know that obviously there are Republicans who are irritated with Donald Trump, fed up with his tactics, fed up with his tweeting, fed up with his comments, made his speeches, fed up with the fact that he doesn't handle himself like other presidents in the past have, But they also know that throwing Trump out of office not only doesn't put a proper end to the whole Trump era in itself, it has to be determined whether he wins or loses in 2020. That has to be the road that's taken. It has to be up to the voters to decide what his fate is going to be. If they intervene and do something like this, it not only hurts Trump because he'll be tossed out of office, it also hurts the Republican brand. So there is no way on God's green earth they're going down that route unless miles and miles of information sort of racks up over the next little period of time. And whatever we know now is, you know, triple, quadruple, right. and to the point where it's impossible for anybody to, to look or say otherwise. The, the, the realistic point of view is going to be is that the U.S. Senate which is controlled by the Republicans, are not going to go through with this. Also, as well, it's worth pointing out, since you're saying, where are we going, there are little breaks or cracks in the whistleblower complaint as of late. Just actually, it's interesting, I'm just posted it right now. About 45 minutes ago, CNN on their website, and you can go see it, uh, had a, uh, basically a comment from Ukrainian President uh, Zelensky, who actually said that he's actually never met Rudy Giuliani, the former New York City mayor, who is also right right now Trump's personal attorney. Direct quote is, I never met Rudy Giuliani, never, and never had any phone calls with him. What is interesting about that is that contradicts a whole series of points that are in the whistleblower complaint about Rudy Giuliani, uh, Attorney Bob Barr, and others meeting with either Ukrainian officials, Russian officials, or possibly even the Ukrainian president himself. This is the first time that Zelensky has actually made a break 
between himself and Trump's team, like a complete break. Now, that doesn't mean that the whistleblower complaint is right or wrong, but what it does show, or what it's going to at least do for the Trump White House and some Republicans, they're going to point to this and say, see, see, this this story is not completely accurate. So where do we go from here? We're going to go through the impeachment hearings. We're going to see whether some of these things, including the whistleblower complaint and other comments, hold water. And from there, we'll see where it all ends up. But in the end, if anybody is really counting on Donald Trump being impeached and thrown out of office, both components, uh, you're dreaming. It's not going to happen. What about the Rudy Giuliani factor? This just seems to complicate things more for the president. Well, you know, Giuliani has complicated a lot of things for himself as well, because the man, unfortunately, when he's interviewed by Fox News, CNN, and others, he just doesn't keep quiet. He basically has no filter, very similar to the President of the United States. And he allows things to, if not slip out, statements that he shouldn't be talking about in public, whatever they are, pop out instantly in terms of what conversations he's had with the White House or directly with President Trump, what he knows on particular files. He's also had fights and arguments just a few days ago on Laura Ingram's show. He was bantering around with um, uh, a Democratic name has just escaped me, but basically I'll think of it as we're talking. But they had a bit of a, a row, but again, it was two people who had both served in New York City politics at one point, but he was irritated, this being Giuliani, because he thought his name was being dragged in the mud and that this other fellow, Han, was just lying and screaming about him and saying terrible things. It's understandable if you're on a show and people are saying things about you that are wrong. You don't have to explode and use you know, pretty, pretty nasty language overall to sort of combat him and just make everybody else feel uncomfortable at the same time. So Giuliani is beneficial in certain ways, because, yes, he does know the law, believe it or not, and he obviously serves a purpose for Donald Trump as, as an attorney and his personal attorney directly, and obviously has, been, has aided and guided uh, Donald Trump and others in certain affairs. But the problem is that Giuliani also acts like an albatross around the president's neck because he drags him down via mm. controversy. Donald Trump creates more than enough controversy yeah. on his own. Yeah. And so do some of the people around him. He doesn't also need his lawyers doing the same thing. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, as always, thanks so much. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a good day. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.